Hello and welcome to this podcast on ISO 2022 with me, Sarah Rundell from Treasury Today Group and Standard Chartered's Richard Stansbury, Head of Payments Product for Standard Chartered in Europe and Sunday Domingo, Head of Digital Platforms and Products who joins from Standard Chartered's Singapore offices. Together, we're going to discuss the implications for corporate treasury of this new messaging standard, looking at why and how treasury should prepare and the timeline around that. Welcome, both of you. Thanks, Sarah. Great to be here. Thank you, Sarah. Looking forward to the discussion. So I want to start by leaping into progress so far when it comes to rolling out this global messaging standard that will introduce a universal language for transferring financial information on everything from payments to securities trading and settlement. Richard, could you kick off? So the ISO deadline is in November 2025, just two years away. What's happened so far? Thanks, Sarah. So we're probably about halfway through. We're at half time, I guess. When we think about ISO, you know, this isn't a new topic. There have been payment schemes like SEPA here in Europe that have been ISO compliant for many, many years. And of course, banks like Standard Chartered work with many of our customers in ISO file formats today already. The real innovation, the real change, though, has been taking place so far in the bank-to-bank space. And if you're sending euros or sterling here in the UK through chats or through Target 2, the bank-to-bank part of that transaction is now taking place on ISO. That's where the big change has happened so far. What's next, though, is how we bring forth to corporate customers the innovations, the excitement, and the enriched data that comes with ISO as we work towards the November 2025 timelines. Okay, wonderful. So you mentioned your corporate clients there. Sunday, can you talk through how this will impact Standard Charters clients around, say, working capital, cash flow forecasting and reconciliation and all the other sort of treasury staples. Um, is it the panacea for late payments? I mean, I think we can all agree that the role of a treasurer in a company it has been evolving to become a strategic role. And I think as part of this strategic shift, becoming a data-driven treasury function continues to be at the forefront of many of our forward-thinking treasurers. And today for corporate treasurers, They are facing external headwinds, a challenging geopolitical landscape, and a lot of market volatility. Uh, So treasury teams have developed resilience, adapting to new ways of working, uh, including working remotely, and many are driving digitization and transformation initiatives. While doing all of this, they are dealing with exceptional events to manage risk. And they don't just need access to timely information, but they also need to be able to rapidly respond and take action. Um, So for us as a bank, more than ever, we really want to look at how data-driven insights have become critical to support the decision-making for our corporate clients and how do we help them drive next best action. And a big part of our digital platform strategy is that we want data-driven insights to help enable our digital platform to be almost like a smart co-pilot to our clients. Uh, so what does this mean? You mentioned cash flow forecasting. Now, that really continues to be prominent for a lot of our corporate clients. Um, in the 2022 Deloitte Global Treasury Survey, 41% right, of those surveyed said that improving cash flow forecasting is a key priority and is actually the second highest priority after enhancing liquidity management. 
Um, so here we see the opportunity to leverage predictive data analytics to help develop a new cash flow forecasting mechanism. Um, and we're doing this in partnership with our clients. The objective is to enable treasurers to see predicted balance movements for short-term forecasting, as well as manage liquidity for operational needs and investment opportunities. However, in that same Deloitte survey, 60% of respondents said that poor quality of data is the number one challenge to improve accuracy of cash flow forecasting. So I think when we think of things like ISO 2022 and the fact that it enables capturing richer information, this is where we really encourage corporates to take advantage of the new standard to build that foundation where you can further develop descriptive and actionable data insights. Again, we're very excited with the opportunity with the richer cash reporting formats that CAMT will provide. It will accommodate enhanced and rich data that can then be integrated into analytic solutions, either developed in-house by corporate themselves or via their banking partners. Could you unpick this idea of richer data a little bit more? What does it actually mean? Where is it found? And what does gathering it involve? Developing data analytic solutions is a key part of our strategic focus area for a standard chartered bank. In addition to enabling cash flow forecasting, another key use case that we see is um, payment network analytics. This use case is all about enabling treasurers to know their payment network, uh, use data to understand their counterparties, country corridors, currency exposure corridors, with value and volume analysis. And what corporates can do is they can look for opportunities by analyzing their payments data to consolidate and achieve efficiencies with their payments operations. So efficiency is definitely a focus area and an opportunity for leveraging richer data. In a 2022 survey as well by The Economist, over 35% of corporate treasury respondents said that preventing and detecting cyber attacks and fraud is a top priority. And this was the second highest area of focus for them. Now, while the standard response to fraud involves enhancements of internal controls and governance, actually analysis of payments data, including historical patterns to identify outliers or potentially suspicious payment transactions is an area of increasing importance as well. So again, with the new ISO standards, enriched payment information, for example, ability to capture purpose of payment, as well as structured beneficiary information can enhance a wide range of payment analytic solutions that we are you know, developing for corporate treasury. Richard, could I turn to you now for the how? What does the implementation process involve for corporates and what does it mean for their ERP and TMS processes and does it involve changes to working practices? Yeah, sure. And, and I think perhaps just to add on to, to Sunday's earlier comments as well, that we talk a lot about enriched data, but it's also the speed and the pace that we're now able to share data with. Real-time treasury is now a really important 
the ability to share balances and transaction information generally through APIs helps treasurers to be able to improve working capital decisions. And, and I think together with, as Sunday was talking about, the richer information that comes with that, it's going to lead to a transformation in terms of how treasurers can manage their working capital. They're better able to understand cash balances across their cash management real estate in many markets, in many different currencies, much faster. And I think the transformation here is about more information faster. To the challenge ahead of us on migrating to ISO, I think the encouragement that would give is to start a conversation with your ERP and your treasury management system provider early. Providers are already looking at this. This is, this is nothing new. The industry has been moving in this direction for a number of years. And in fact, the November 25 timelines that SWIFT are asking us to work towards is almost just a, a, another iteration of, of an ongoing migration. Work with your ERP providers. Start a conversation today. And if you haven't, just jump on the phone and get going with them now. It's going to be different for different organizations, though. Not everyone, of course, uses a big package like SAP, and many customers still may be working with uh, more legacy formats and legacy systems. Start taking a look at your vendor master files now. The biggest change, I think, is going to be moving your vendors from unstructured address information to more structured by being able to uh, very simply store their, the city and the country that the vendor is in a separate field. You may be doing that already, but if you're not, that could take quite some time to implement. So start taking a look at your vendor master files now and make sure that it's ready for structured addresses. Secondly, just have a phone call with your provider. I think they're going to be more than ready to start talking to you. Oh, good advice there. Sunday, anything to add? Thank you, Sarah. I think Richard covered a lot. Um, and I think he was spot on when he said that it's not a one size fits all. And every company will have to look at their unique needs and requirements. But what I can add is that for our larger MNC clients, they have been moving towards a strategy of centralization, standardization, and automation. Um, and what this usually entails is also streamlining their banking connectivity and adopting and embracing standardized uh, infrastructure. So we have observed that even major ERP providers such as SAP are providing multi-bank connectivity solutions. And we have also seen a new uh, breed of fintech players that are working to connect multiple ERP environments to multiple banking providers, particularly leveraging API capabilities. To Richard's point that more and more we see the need for real-time treasury. Now, this evolution of connectivity option is providing corporates the ability to standardize and have transparency. And as part of that shift to multi-bank connectivity solutions, whether that's through a SWIFT for corporates channel or through a multi-bank connectivity within an ERP or a TMS system, we do want to encourage our clients to also then take the opportunity to also move towards industry standard formats such as ISO 2022. By adopting the new ISO standard, corporates will be able to leverage the key features that Richard mentioned. But I also want to point out that uh, they are able to leverage the key things like the unique end-to-end -end transaction reference, the UETR, 
this allows us to actually uniquely identify the payment transaction. And as an example, many of us banks, as well as providers in the financial services industry, are going to use the UETR to enable access to payment status tracking solutions. To give an example, we are looking to develop a new straight-to-bank quick-serve solution that will allow our corporate clients to enable their staff or counterparties who don't necessarily have login access to our straight-to-bank the ability to query the payment status by simply using the UETR. Now, this provides faster query resolution and improves the overall payment tracking process. So I do think that there's a lot of opportunity to build on the foundation of the ISO standard. And, you know, the exciting thing there, just Sarah, to add to Sunday's point, is that if we look at the lead that Europe has created here with SEPA, payment initiation through ISO formats is only just the start of the journey. When we think about a payments ecosystem across a life cycle, you know, you might start a payment today by initiating it, but then perhaps you need to request a recall or a return or there's been an issue with the transaction and your beneficiary may be claiming non-receipt. What you're able to do through ISO standards increasingly is going to be able to initiate the post-transaction messages for inquiries and investigations. And that might not sound like it's that important to you, but if you're a corporate running a large payment factory or perhaps a collections factory and have a high degree of centralization and automation in your back-end accounting processes, these types of advancements in the payments industry really help to drive efficiencies. Imagine being able to, instead of picking up the phone and calling your uh, service manager at a bank or perhaps logging in through a web portal, your ERP could initiate the request for a return of funds or a dispute around a transaction. And the, the ISO messages give us the ability to bring forth these services to customers. It's a really exciting innovation and it's going to help drive efficiency and automation for many of our big corporates. Yeah, yeah. All fascinating stuff. So you've both talked about the solutions that are coming on stream there from service providers. Could you talk a little bit about how prepared banks are, though, on the ISO road and also the implications for corporates if their banking partners are not ready? Now, as Richard already mentioned, the move to ISO 222 as a standard is not really new. Moving to the ISXML already started with the SEPA migration a few years back uh, with domestic payment traffic. Ever since then, there has been a growing importance in the financial services industry. Also, we see a lot of other countries adopt ISO as a standard for their domestic payment infrastructure. And we have seen that happen across many countries across the globe. Now, not all banks will be ready at the same time for cross-border payments, and this is where the fragmentation in bank readiness may pose a challenge for corporates and how they connect with their different banks. Uh, So as a result, companies may need to continue to be able to work with different formats depending on their individual banking provider's readiness. When we look at our corporate clients who are sending us payment uh, files uh, over our channels, Um, majority of them actually already do so using the ISO 222 XML format versus other industry standard formats such as IDOC. Uh, So we've seen that a lot of corporates are already moving in this direction. Now, for those who have yet to actually make a decision to shift to ISO, 
as a standard, we do encourage them because the shift that's happening in the industry, dealing with multiple formats, with multiple banking providers, they have a good opportunity to mitigate that fragmentation risk by doing all the necessary investments in their systems and processes to move to the new ISO standard. Sunday, you're right. It's top of mind for all of the banks that are involved in SWIFT. Uh, Standard Chartered is included, of course, and we'll be sharing some more details on our plans around uh, our ISO story in the coming months. Wonderful. Look forward to it. So could we just bring all these points together now to conclude? So what are the key lessons you've both learned about this migration so far? What's been easy? What's been more challenging? And most importantly, what should corporate treasury do now? And yeah, could you just share insights on how organisations can reach the finishing line and the risks of not acting now? Richard? Far away. Certainly. I, yeah, I think at the end of the day, this is a technology project like any other type of technology project. It has a, a topic, a timeline and, and, and a bunch of requirements that goes with it. We shouldn't lose sight of the fact that at the end of the day, we all have IT teams and they all have work schedules. We just need to get this into your schedule and start the conversation, as I've said earlier, with, with your TMS providers to begin with, because they're going to be leading the charge for you. It's just start early and do take a look at your vendor master file to make sure that you're holding your beneficiaries in a structured format, because that could also take a long time for many corporates. Thank you. And Sunday, any concluding thoughts? I think, as Richard already said, it's all about connecting to your banking providers, connecting to your technology providers, uh, whether it's your ERP or TMS system provider. If you're already a corporate connecting to SWIFT, uh, speaking to your SWIFT bureau or uh, your connectivity partner, and, and really making sure that there's a timeline around overall readiness a lot of corporates are reaching out as well to their partners, banking partners and service providers to do a lot of testing, right, of the current files and how this would look like post the shift to ISO. So I think uh, depending on the scope and the complexity of your organization, you will want to invest in not just sort of the technology resources to support it, but perhaps some of the operational resources around um, testing and validation. And then I think finally, while it sounds like it's a lot of work and it's a lot of investment, we are very excited about the shift in the industry towards ISO. More and more, as we all know, data is the foundation of a digital transformation journey. Uh, So I think a lot of corporates, as they embrace the investment and resources needed, they need to also have a forward thinking view to see how they will be able to better leverage the richer data that would come out of this shift to improve their operational processes and perhaps even enhance their business and client value proposition. Sunday and Richard, thank you both so much for joining me. Thank you for the conversation, Sarah and Richard. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been great. I've been speaking to Standard Charter's Richard Stansbury, Head of Payments Product for Standard Chartered in Europe, and Sunday Domingo, Head of Digital Platforms and Products based in Singapore. I'm Sarah Rundell from Treasury Today Group, and thank you for listening.